Chapter Seven of the Sheridan Road Mystery. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Sheridan Road Mystery by Paul and Mabel Thorne. Chapter Seven. Mr. Marsh. Morgan had hardly expected such an early reply when he sent his inquiry to Mr. Ames regarding his acquaintance with Marsh. It was possible, however, that Mr. Ames had made an early morning call on his London bankers and had immediately dispatched his reply. Morgan was glad that it had arrived at this opportune moment. With Murphy to testify that Marsh had claimed Ames as a friend, and with this cablegram to prove the falsity of the claim, he had at least one unanswerable piece of evidence of a suspicious nature to warrant his proposed action against the man. Bidding his mother good-bye, Morgan hurried around to the elevated station. He purchased a package of cigarettes at the newsstand and climbed the steps two at a time to catch a train he heard approaching. A few minutes later he got off at the Wilson Avenue station, crossed Wilson Avenue to Sheridan Road, and, turning north, soon spotted Tierney at the corner of Lawrence Avenue. "'Hello,' Morgan greeted him. "'Any news?' "'No,' replied Tierney. "'I relieved Murphy at six o'clock this morning, and another man has taken up the watch in the alleyway. Murphy saw nothing of Marsh, and he saw the light went out in his flat about ten-thirty. The man who watched the alleyway didn't see a soul except the milkman. Marsh came out a little while ago, and I followed him. He had a quick breakfast in the waffle shop just below here, and I trailed him back again.' "'I guess I'll find my man in, all right,' said Morgan. "'I'll go up now. You tell the man in the alleyway to keep his eyes open while I'm inside. In about ten minutes, if he doesn't hear anything from me, he can come up and wait outside Marsh's door. We'll leave him there that long in case Marsh should try to slip out the back way when he hears me at the door. If he doesn't hear from me in ten minutes, he can be sure that I got in. He will then probably be more useful close at hand in the event that anything should slip up. After you tell him what to do, you can go ahead with the photographs.' Tierney nodded in acknowledgment of these instructions, and started back to the alleyway. Morgan entered the apartment house, climbed the stairs to Marsh's door, and rang the bell. Marsh immediately opened the door. It seemed to Morgan as if Marsh must have been standing there awaiting his ring, yet how could the man have suspected Morgan's intention to call on him at this time? It looked strangely like the man had been on watch at the door. "'Good morning,' said Marsh. "'Good morning,' returned Morgan. "'I want to have a little talk with you.' Marsh invited him in with a pleasant ring in his voice, and indicated the living-room with a motion of his hand. Morgan entered, and sat down on a chair close to the entrance, laying his hat on the floor by the chair. Marsh watched Morgan sit down in this strategic location, and then, with a slight smile, strolled across and seated himself in a big chair near the fireplace. Resting his elbows on the arms of the chair, and interlacing his fingers in front of him, he looked at Morgan. "'Well?' he said. Morgan unbuttoned his coat and exhibited his badge. "'I am Detective Sergeant Morgan of the Chicago Police Department.' "'Oh, yes, Dave Morgan.' Morgan looked at Marsh sharply. "'You've heard of me before, have you?' he said. "'Not until early Tuesday morning,' smiled Marsh. "'Then I heard one of the policemen refer to the fact that this would be a job for Dave Morgan. Evidently you have quite a reputation here in Chicago, Mr. Morgan.' "'Among crooks, yes,' snapped Morgan. The easy attitude of the other man was just a little puzzling. Morgan, however, was inclined to attribute it to his confidence that they were not in a position to actually fasten any guilt upon him. He suspected that the man was playing a game, and this not only nettled him, but served to strengthen his suspicions. Morgan went on. "'I have been assigned to this murder case upstairs, Mr. Marsh. After considerable investigation, I find it will be necessary to ask you a few questions.' Marsh nodded, but said nothing. Morgan sat silent for a moment, as if considering how to begin. Then, without apparently looking at Marsh, he suddenly said, "'It's a long jump from Mexico to Chicago.' Marsh unclasped his fingers for a moment and looked hard at Morgan. Morgan caught what he believed to be a start. 
but gave no indication that it had made an impression upon him. "'I was wondering,' he continued slowly, "'what had brought you such a long way?' "'Obviously, Mr. Morgan, if you know that much about me, you must also know that I came here on business.' "'When do you attend to your business, Mr. Marsh?' asked Morgan, now looking him in the eye. "'At various times of the day,' replied Marsh, "'whenever I can get appointments with the people I am negotiating with. I don't quite understand the trend of these questions, but I might say that I was downtown on business the greater part of yesterday afternoon.' "'Does standing on a Michigan Avenue curb constitute the principal part of your business, Mr. Marsh?' "'Well, I sometimes fill in my time like that until I am sure people who are interested in my movements have gone on about their own business.' It was Morgan's turn to look disconcerted. Evidently he had a clever man to deal with, and he began to wonder if his present step had not been too precipitate. He felt sure that it was going to be difficult to fasten anything on this man. He decided, however, that he had gone too far to draw back now, and he went on with his questions. "'In the preliminary report which was given me,' he said, "'I noticed that you made a statement to the patrolman you called in that the noise in the flat above aroused both you and your wife.' "'Yes,' admitted Marsh. "'I believe I did say something like that.' "'But,' added Morgan, "'we have not been able to get an interview with your wife.' "'Such an interview would be quite useless. As a matter of fact, she knows no more, and probably not so much as I do about what took place.' "'You're probably right about that,' smiled Morgan, and there was a sarcastic ring in his voice. "'Just the same. I'd like to have a few words with her.' "'You know as well as I do, Mr. Morgan. That would be impossible.' Morgan raised his eyebrows. "'I don't get you,' he said. "'Well, to be more explicit, then, you know that my wife does not live here.' "'Here's a new game,' thought Morgan. There was no doubt that Marsh was openly fencing with him. In fact, the man seemed to know every move which had been made. At last the super-criminal of literature seemed to have stepped into actual life. Morgan was certain that some crime had been committed, and the circumstantial evidence against this man had been accumulating rapidly. Yet, as he faced him and thought it over, he realized how intangible was their hold upon Marsh. Of course, when they got this man down to headquarters, they might force him to give more explicit details regarding his past and present actions, but a man so clever as this had probably left little behind him that would convict him of anything certainly not of his connection with whatever had taken place in the apartment above. The cuff-button, even, seemed to be growing doubtful in value. These reflections on Morgan's part flashed through his mind so quickly that there was only the slightest pause between Marsh's last statement and the next question. "'What would give you that impression?' asked Morgan. "'Your man went through my apartment yesterday, and I'm sure he found no evidence of a lady occupying it with me.' Morgan found it difficult to conceal his astonishment not only at the statement, but the man's intimate knowledge of things of which he was supposed to be in ignorance. Then he remembered the clandestine listener at his door, and his doubts of a moment before took flight. "'It is quite evident,' declared Morgan, "'that you, or someone connected with you, have taken an unusual interest in the movements of the Chicago Police Department. Why?' "'I have taken no special interest in what you have been doing,' said Marsh. "'It was not difficult to note that almost from the time I called the attention of your man on the beat to the occurrence, your men have been regarding me with suspicion. I cannot possibly understand why this should be so, but you will admit that it is a fact, won't you?' Morgan remained silent. "'I could not help noticing,' continued Marsh, "'that the man who had been conducting an investigation in this house was keeping watch across the street. Happening to glance back after entering a taxicab yesterday, I observed this man entering another taxi, which followed mine downtown. It was obvious to the most ordinary intelligence that he was following me.' After I reached the Loop District, I was absolutely sure of it. 
Then, when I returned and found footmarks in my apartment, it was quite evident that someone had been investigating. Morgan was stunned. Footmarks, he thought. Had Tierney been so clumsy and careless as to enter the flat with muddy shoes? Something had to be done to cover an awkward pause and give him a chance to gather his wits, so Morgan took out the package of cigarettes. After helping himself to one, he tossed the package to Marsh. Morgan noted with satisfaction that the man took one before handing the package back. Marsh smoked cigarettes. "'Why did you follow Miss Atwood?' Morgan suddenly shot at him. Marsh's face expressed surprise. "'Follow Miss Atwood!' he exclaimed. "'That's what it looked like,' asserted Morgan. "'Well, that was a strange coincidence,' commented Marsh. Morgan found it hard to determine whether this was a reply or an evasion. He decided, however, that matters had gone far enough, and that Marsh must either prove himself innocent or stay in jail until they could definitely fasten his guilt upon him. To bring matters to a head, he reached into his pocket for the cablegram. "'You said that Mr. Ames, the man who rents the flat upstairs, was a friend of yours.' "'I believe I did,' admitted Marsh. "'Well, I have a cablegram here from Mr. Ames,' stated Morgan, as he brought out the paper. "'Read it.' Marsh leaned forward, took the cablegram, read it gravely, and returned it to Morgan. "'You certainly got me tied up,' he said. "'Tight as a drum,' agreed Morgan. "'The game's up, Marsh. You're coming with me to headquarters.' "'I'm afraid you have sort of spilled the beans, Morgan,' laughed Marsh, rising. Morgan, however, was used to the last-minute plays of cornered criminals. Leaning back in his chair and smiling encouragingly, his hands, without seeming purpose, were slipped into the side pockets of his coat. The right hand quickly gripped a revolver in readiness. "'Yes,' continued Marsh, "'I had hoped to work quietly. But this incident has upset my plans. Yet, after all, perhaps we can work together with greater success.' "'Now we come to the divvy proposition,' thought Morgan." He remained expectantly silent, however, and his face still wore its encouraging smile. Marsh came closer, and the end of the concealed revolver barrel moved upward just a trifle. The next moment the smile on Morgan's face faded out, and his eyes filled with an astonished stare. Marsh had thrown back his coat, revealing the badge of the United States Secret Service. End of chapter 7